0: Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hello, my friend. Hello, my beautiful sisters. How are you? Hello. Hello. We are so excited. As you say, we say this every single time. Yeah, yeah like I'm so excited. I am excited, excited a lot. A lot. We're, we're excited, so really, We're excitable gals. We're so excited, though, for serious to have the one and the only Jen Couch, founder of Sober Sis. If in you're the in, the, in the house, if you are in the sober or sober curious like sphere, you know who she is already. She doesn't need an intro, but I'm going to give her one anyways. She is a motivational speaker. She's the author of "Look Alive, Sis," which I definitely need to. I need to get my hands on that. I haven't done that yet. Oh my gosh! Her passion is creating spaces where women can renegotiate their relationship with alcohol without labels, judgment, or shame. Whoop! She coaches ladies who feel stuck in the gray area on the drinking spectrum and helps women get off of autopilot and mindless sipping through the habit of wine o'clock. I love it. She lives in Fort Worth, Texas with her hubby of 28 years and has two kiddos in their young 20s. Jen, thank you for being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. We've been
1: wanting to do this for a while and I'm glad that today it's finally here because this is going to be a great great conversation and just look forward to
0: to getting to know y'all better too. Oh, yay. Um well where should we start cuz I we want to hear like everything. <laughs> uh, but w- tell us I guess you're oh, we should also mention which is we are so excited about this too that Jen is a sister in Christ and so mm-hmm. we're going to have a really good conversation about the Sober Curious movement and how God fits into all of it for the free of us too, right? So why don't you just give us your testimony and how how Sober Sis got to be where it is today? Yeah. Well, you set
1: me up really well because it's definitely a God story. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> a God story in my life. woven All the way through, even the drinking, even the struggle, even the uh, fact that Yeah, I'm now AKA Sober Sis. And when you get to know my story a little bit, it's an unlikely pairing. My story, you know, starts probably like many others. I grew up, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a solid family and and really had a pretty smooth road. I mean, your basic, you know, childhood challenges, but went on to college, pledged a sorority. I was at a state school at a sorority in leadership. And uh, a non-drinker, actually, Oh wow! all through my 20s, which is an an interesting part of the story, I guess you could say. I I found that growing up in a home where alcohol really wasn't a big deal, my parents, I wouldn't say they were actively teetotalers, but they just, they weren't drinkers. And so I just kind of grew up, you know, kind of hearing the basic rules around drinking, you know, don't drink if you're not 21. That was the law. Don't drink and drive. And as a, a good Christian girl, you know, grew up, don't drink to get drunk. And I was like, okay, those are the three rules around alcohol that I kind of grew up knowing. I didn't really have a cautionary tale around me of like it going really sideways. And quite honestly, it wasn't something I was really interested in because by the time I did get to Texas Tech where I went to school, being really social and really involved in the mix on campus it was kind of uh, sobering to look around and go. You know what? That looks kind of out of control to me. It looks kind of scary. <laughs> this is—I'm dating myself right now. This is, you know, late '80s, early '90s, and this is like pre-Uber, pre-cell phone. Get yourself out of a pinch by like phone a friend. Uh, no, you're you're out there, and so uh, there's just my nature, my personality. I was like, no, thanks. That looks kind of not for me. And so it just really wasn't a part of my life. But, you know, there were difficult and challenging and heartbreaking things that happened in my 20s where I think if I would have already had a relationship with drinking of any kind, even if it was just kind of horsing around in high school or drinking socially in college, I would have been really set up for a much earlier drinking relationship in my 20s had it already been in my life. Got married at 24. I married my college sweetheart on the day he graduated college. I'm older, and so I'd already been out of school. And literally, we didn't even want to wait the summer. I was like, okay, you are now no longer a college student. You're like an adult now. (laughs) Move the tassel (laughs) over. And he he married me the day he graduated. So he was 22, I was 24, and we started building a life together. A family, a life. We didn't have our kids till a few years later. But I mean, my 20s were all about building, building and, and creating and forming a family. And so drinking hadn't entered in yet. So it really wasn't until my young 30s that drinking kind of entered the picture. It's like, cue the music, <laughs> cue the drink. I was actually in a home-based business that was keeping me at home during the day with my young kiddos at the time, but taking me out of the house in the evening to do the networking aspect. And so there I was young mom. I was in my young 30s. So I was probably 32. And I was at a happy hour and a good friend of mine just said, Hey, Jen, why don't you get a glass of wine with us? And I thought, you know what? Really? Why don't I? Like, hold the phone. Why, what? If I? Why don't I? I kind of went through my rules in my head, you know, am I over
0: 21?
1: <laughs> you know, all the things that I kind of, Had around drinking, and I was like, absolutely, do I qualify now? Like, it it was weird. It was like, uh, I just kind of opened the door, and I didn't even really realize what I was opening the door to, uh, because it was so innocent and naive, really, on my part. And so I was like, sure, order me something. You know, I'll, I'll ditch the sweet tea tonight and try some of this, you know, elixir that everyone seems to be all excited about as adults. This is going to mm-hmm. be different than like being a crazy kid. This is going to be an adult thing. And mm-hmm. girls, I got to tell you, my friend ordered that white Zinfandel, had it brought out to me. I did, I literally didn't even know what to order, and I I had that first drink, and it was memorable to me because I think I was so much older, and beneath the surface of my life, the uh, pressure of You know, being married, being a mom, building a business, watching another business start to go up in flames, all of the stress and pressures of life were kind of smoldering under there. And then that drink kind of met with the anxiety and pressure that I was already feeling. And the two collided (laughs) and gave me a euphoric, blissful feeling and immediately encouraged that Mm -hmm. like, this is what you do welcome mm-hmm. to the club hub, welcome to the party. And I'm like, well, I have been late to the party, but boy, if this is, you know, not only like legal, but glamorized and encouraged, mm-hmm. I'm in, I'm all about it. How mm-hmm. fun is this? This is not, uh, there's nothing quote wrong with this. and And I still don't think in and of itself there is. But where my heart was, was immediately almost like, Attached to this feeling and the altering of my feelings, mm-hmm. so that I'll kind of pause there to let y'all just kind of comment on what I've said. But it really wasn't until my young thirties that my relationship with alcohol really even started. I mean, I'd had a handful of drinks before that time, and each one I was like, "Yeah, what's the big deal? This is gross."
0: I love how you talked about because um, I think this is so relatable. It's like all of that stuff that's bubbling right underneath the surface that kind of creates that perfect storm for, and I mean, there's so many pieces, but it's like, it just all collides. It's the glamorization of it. It's, I'm an adult. It's, I'm not doing anything wrong here. You know, like with your rules. I kind of deserve it. My me time, my reward. We've all heard that, Mm. but it's, it's very true.
1: And this is, I will date myself. This is literally 20 years ago. So 20 years ago, the culture around drinking was just starting to shift. Where you mentioned uh, the marketing and messaging to women about drinking was about that time really making a huge shift, where they were literally industry wide. Like, like I could just see them in a boardroom going, who yeah. is not drinking enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. who, who, who do we need to mm-hmm. really target? Who mm-hmm. needs to be our new avatar?
0: Oh, it yeah. needs mm-hmm. to be."
1: Uh, young moms, working moms, the mommy wine juice culture, and I was really on the front end of that because up until that time, even in my twenties, pregnancy and having little little kids, you would have never have heard a mom at a playgroup talk about a mimosa or met uh, another mom at the park with you know something in your yeti on mid Friday <laughs> afternoon because it's five o'clock almost somewhere. That was of. Un- heard of when I was a young mom, that as I started to, to get further into motherhood and my 30s, that became more and more cute, fun, prevalent, all the memes and the t-shirts and the towels. And my gosh, by the time I was in my 40s, it was in the grocery store at a bar in the store. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really, truly watched the, uh, the culture change, totally been a part of it and then been a part of the alcohol-free world changing in the last six and a half years. So I've I've kind of got this kind of unique vantage point, I guess, from being a non-drinker for so long then being really deep in the pitcher plant, but not so deep that I couldn't fly out. I always flew away, but always went back in. And then to now be in my young 50s and having changed my relationship with drinking in my late 40s, yeah, I can I can just almost like pull back and see the society change.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. When you were talking about the men in the boardrooms, I actually had a client that was what works used to work for big alcohol. And she literally said like they would say exactly what you just said and literally mentioned, you know, part of the avatar was go after the, the moms and the minivans. Like, yep, that's who you're that's who you're going mom. Yeah. Get the soccer mom. Yeah. 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 Who's just overwhelmed,
1: a little stressed out, loves her husband, loves her family, doing it all right, you know, kind mm-hmm. of the detox to retox loop, the the person that's going to the Pilates, like I just came from, who's had the green juice for lunch, like I literally yep. just had. Yeah. That person, yep. <laughs> because that was yep. me. I would literally switch from, you know, yoga and kale to Pinot Grigio and Netflix. It was like a yep. swap.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> me too, sister. Yeah. So, yeah. What was the what was the catalyst then? What did what happened for you to decide? I don't want to be like this anymore.
1: Boy, was I sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you, have mm-hmm. yeah. heard that before. And I, that's right where I was at. Really, age forty to forty-five for me were were probably my hardest years of life as a person, <laughs> as a mom, as a wife. Our oldest, who is awesome, by the way, she's now in her mid-20s, that was her 13 to 18. And that was my 40 to 45. And those were Uh, were just challenging years of parenting, of marriage, of, you know, I just started to feel like I was kind of losing myself, playing smaller. But the catalyst for me was, quite honestly, us leaving that season. And I say us because she turned 18 and was ready to move on and actually almost 19 move across the country. And I thought, okay, I'm at a, I'm at a pivot point myself. I I can reinvent myself too. It's kind of cool when you're a kid, because when you change seasons, like high school to college or college to adulthood, you, you get a kind of a new chance at like how you want to show up. And I really felt like it was kind of my chance to, to, you know, mid forties, I wanted to show up differently at 50. Then I did 40. And I thought, well, I can't do that overnight. It's not, it's not going to be a three-day juice cleanse. I mean, this is going to take <laughs> a lot more work to really get my mind, my body, and my spirit back in alignment because I knew I was totally out of alignment in every way. I mean, I was chasing my own tail. And so I, at that time, that's, that's when I really started picking up on the Sober Curious movement and the incredible uh, women and men. Who have gone before me that were leading the way, and uh, reading their books, listening to their podcast, and really just trying to learn the science was huge for me because I'd never heard of, of all this, and so that it was a
0: pivotal time for sure. I'm curious, and I mean you don't have to give all the gory details, but like the difference right. between yeah, like you wanted to show up differently, and I know I can, I have like clients in mind in my head who are like, okay, but like. What how were you showing up? Like how much wine were you drinking? Like give me the give me the juicy details of what did your Absolutely, drinking yeah. look like during that time that then prompted that? Cause that's yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Me. Great, great question, honest question, honest answer. I would say on the outside, especially socially speaking, my drinking really looked like everybody else. Truly. I think the fact that I even stepped into this space as Sober Sis was quite a shock to a lot of people around me because they didn't ever uh, cast me as someone with a drinking problem. They, In fact, a lot of people knew me as a non-drinker if they hadn't seen me in a while. Like if I got <laughs> together with college friends or people that knew me in my 20s, they might have missed that 15-year drinking gap in there that I, I only had about a, 15 career drink, a 15-year drinking career. It's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Uh, which all in, I mean, I work with ladies and I'm sure you do too, that have uh, been drinking for decades and decades. And uh, mine was fairly short-lived, but I'll I'll tell you this, it packed a punch for me internally. So externally mm-hmm. look the same, don't really have any big epic yeah. failed stories out there. But in here, in my own house and in my own internal world, yeah, rut-row. Yeah. Now it's got the 80 20 rule going. 80% of the time, and I just talked about this on Instagram, about 80% of the time, moderation management was working for me in the sense that, yeah, I just felt sluggish the next day, foggy brain, you know, woke up at 3 a.m. kind of your basics of drinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, But about 20% of the time, um, oh, Yeah. One too many. What did that look like for me? It looked like uh, kind of glassy-eyed when the teenagers are coming home. They're making curfew. I'm waiting up for them, but I'm three glasses in Mm. and or more. Maybe did the bottle break down? And I talk a lot about that because that was what I had built up enough tolerance to be able to do on a regular basis. I mean, on the regular, I was being able to do, quote, the bottle breakdown, <laughs> where I'm just going to have a glass. I'm just, just going to have, a- have a glass. And we all know that the bottle has like a bottom in it that just drops out. <laughs> and uh, over any given evening, I could have, you know, three or four glasses of wine from five to 10 PM. That's really what was most painful for me was the duplicity that I felt in my own life, yes. the <laughs> double mindedness the divided mind. I, I felt literally that mental tug of war and at odds within myself pretty much all the time because if I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about drinking. If I had had too much to drink, I was thinking about never drinking again, knowing <laughs> that that would never be the case. Yep. And it was just this round and round. Uh, but I mean, I've definitely got a, a handful, at least maybe on two hands, uh, stories where it was like, wow, I really crossed the line and and my family noticed, especially my daughter, which was really painful because she was my oldest and the one that was really paying attention. Mm-hmm. And because I am a recovering perfectionist, I'm an Enneagram one. If y'all nice. are into the Enneagram, I just talk a lot about it, but my desire to be a good mom, get it right, You've got the mom guilt. You've got the Christian mom guilt. I'll throw that on there, too, which is not from God. It's really ultimately from the enemy and ourselves. But I had a lot of pressure on myself to show up and always be the beacon of light, the stable one, the voice of reason. You can Mm. always count on mom, always. You can always count on Jen. She's never going to let you down Uh the way it worked in my family it wasn't super safe to let a lot of emotion show because we get it together people we get get it together and mm-hmm. you can use your words and talk about feelings but even that needs to be kind of in control and articulated well and this kind of wheels off and so a lot of my drinking was to feel and some of my drinking was not to feel and i i bounced back and forth with Sometimes I was drinking to let loose and to let go, have a good crying session, you know, really get into my feelings. And then other times I was drinking to completely avoid my feelings or dull the anxiety that was smoldering inside of me that I had no idea was actually attached to the alcohol I was drinking.
0: Oh my gosh. Have you read my journal? (laughs) 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 Because I'm like... Like, I yeah, feel and not feel. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That yeah. Is, I wrote that down. Yeah. That is. Yeah. That is so true. And and it's so painful to to think about that. That is what we were doing, because I'll say we because that I mean, ex- I could have totally. said exactly all of those things. And yet. It's also really cool to not to jump too far ahead to now be in this place where we can reflect back and go, yeah. oh my gosh, well, no one, no, it's like, of course we ended up where we did with wine. Of course of we course. did. We weren't feeling and we were, you know, I mean, all of that, all of that. And then how that gets ingrained in, in us with these stories that say, yeah, that we need to, we need this now. It's part of our, yeah, it's part of our yeah. survival kit. as a yeah. y'all too with this
1: kind of idea, but For me, being kind of so late to the party, being a later in life drinker and already having a really, I would say, really deep and strong relationship, a personal relationship with God, when I brought drinking in, it was almost like bringing in like a third party. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm all about the Trinity and the trio. (laughs) That's one trio, but it's almost like I kind of made it like Jesus plus Mm -hmm. my little helper, plus my grit and fortitude. We can do this together. And I I think early on, I didn't associate how much I was going to, well, I didn't know how much I was going to end up leaning on the, the alcohol, but I felt almost out of the gate, a sense of a little bit of confusion and shame. And because I didn't have anybody to talk to about it, nobody was out there talking about this um, 20 years ago on a podcast, talking about gray area drinking or wine o'clock or that you can be a really good mom and a good person and really health conscious and then also struggle with this. Like either you Mm -hmm. were an alcoholic or you weren't. If you had a problem with drinking, there was one solution only. And I'm all about a lot of solutions. Um, And I just didn't know that there was a drinking spectrum. And so the thought that I even liked it too much, but didn't even know how to say that. Put me in a spot where I thought, okay, I really like this. Like I like it a lot because I like the way it makes me feel. I like the way it changes how I feel. So now I've got to monitor and control not liking it too much. Hmm. And that's internal in my world and in my relationship with God. But I kind of externally need to pace this out because I don't want to be like too giddy on a on a date night or a party because I, again, I was, my 30s were a lot of experimenting with drinking. And so some of my epic fails, you know, I'm a 35-year-old mom, you know, throwing up in a parking lot with my husband on a date night while we've got a babysitter because I literally just didn't know my limit. It wasn't like I was binge drinking or hiding yet. <laughs> it was more like I, I just literally drank two glasses of cab too fast, and my body didn't know what to do. Well, the shame from that was so heavy and deep in my life. Y'all can imagine what that made me want to do. Drink
0: more.
1: (laughs) It made me want to drink more. So number one, I could get better at it. So that didn't happen again. (laughs) got to build up some tolerance here. Got to be a better drinker. Oh, okay. I get it. If that's what adults are doing, and I'm just like behind i just, you know, anyway, it was, I think a lot of this was subconscious, but looking back now, that's exactly what I was doing. Oh, I love
0: that so much. I love that so much. I love that whole idea of like, you can be a good mom, you can be a good wife, you can be a good, uh, whatever, employee, whatever you are and still have an issue with this, right? Like, which is, I think all of our stories, like I, I'm very much the same. Everybody was drinking the same it looks like totally normal and totally Mm -hmm. fine. And, and to have like, you called it that like duplicity. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was me too. Yeah, for sure. Which turns up the noise in that internal state where we're already, you know, thinking about prepping for recovering from, how am I going to never do this again? Like, I mean, it's just, again, that kind of like internal storm is brewing, brewing, brewing. And it's, yeah, eventually going to, it was crazy oh, no. making. In fact, even took a year off.
1: I will mention this in my late 30s, um, age 38 to 39. and only been drinking, you know, five or six years <laughs> pretty consistently. Again, my, my husband and I did not meet as drinkers. So it was not a connector in our mm-hmm. relationship early on. It wasn't like, you know, we met at a bar or in the party scene or that we'd both come from mm-hmm. a big dr- drinking relationship. So when I started drinking, he kind of started drinking too. It just kind of, again, the culture was changing where it was like, all the dudes are having a beer while they cook out. All the women Mm -hmm. are in the kitchen drinking the wine. You can even Mm -hmm. go to a Bible study and it's BYOB. So like the Mm -hmm. world was changing around us. Whereas in college, it was more like drinker, non-drinker. As an adult, it felt more like, of course, everybody drinks. What are you drinking? That was a big abrupt change. So we we had only been drinking really as a couple where again that third party, come on, alcohol, come to our date nights. You'll make it more fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, let's
1: sit down and order. Oh, what are we having tonight? Now we can really connect. And it was such a counterfeit connection compared to the real connection that I'd had the decade before alcohol was invited into our marriage. Mm-hmm. I really had, but at first it didn't seem like an enemy, felt like a friend, didn't feel like a foe. It felt like, oh, awesome. This is like, this is like a way to get my mind off of the heavy responsibility and the overthinking and kind of like, let that girl loosen up a bit. And, you know, I thought our intimacy was better. Turns out it was just you know, not fully present. So mm-hmm. it, we really had we really had to navigate a lot of that. And I will say, even though he took that initial break with me from drinking, we learned nothing. We had zero tools, zero. Like we just kind of willpower, white knuckled it, total deprivation mindset. But it's something we we just want to do to show ourselves. I wanted to show up at forty with the you know bikini on the beach and kind of reel it in. Uh, and guess what? We did great that year because I also had a buddy. I had my drinking buddy also become my sober buddy.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, that worked out really well for me because I think if, if he would have been drinking and it would have been my own journey without any support, I would have totally caved. I mean, at the first anniversary birthday, birthday or wedding that we went to, I would have been done. But we did it together. And so what did I do to celebrate a year of no drinking? Drinking. Drink. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <We> <laughs> celebrate with drinking because we yeah. because, because we because should did. it. Yes, yeah. celebrate.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, how do you celebrate? Wine, champagne. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we totally
1: celebrated by just now bringing it back in with the management system, and uh, quite honestly, here here fast forward, I've been alcohol free for about six and a half years or so since April of 2017, and it's not been his path. He has not decided to be alcohol free this round. <laughs> In fact, it's, it's been something that we've navigated as a couple uh, because we started out together as non-drinkers, took that break together, and then I kind of peeled off and went the alcohol-free route. And early on, it was extremely difficult for me because it was so engrafted in our relationship and kind of like what we did for fun as an activity, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't always yeah. that fun when we were doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been, that's been a journey in and of itself. Wow. I was gonna say yeah. that's the question that people are asking too, because that's what we get a lot, you know. And it is, it is hard to, you know, have that awareness that like something needs to change and I want to do this for myself. But I too, like my husband and I, our hobby was cocktailing. Like cocktailing was a verb. Yeah. That's the thing we did together. We <laughs> didn't hike together, we cocktailed together. And so yes. what are we gonna do when I'm all of a sudden going, let's make this change and he's not on board. And I think that's where it is tough, but there is hope. And just how how did you step into that? Like, well, okay, I've got to just do this for myself. And where did you get that first kind of like boost into the the future of your alcohol-free living? Really, for me,
1: it was just starting
0: to work on this
1: concept of having a really strong why. Why was I doing this? Mm -hmm. And if I made it about anybody else or for anybody else, Doing it for my kids, doing it because my husband kind of hinted towards that might be a good idea. He was really the only one that ever even said, "Hey, you know," because he also caught the the flip side of the fun Jen. He caught the unfiltered version of Jen, <laughs> the Jen that had a few that really all of that anger and frustration and all that would come flying out of my mouth. He caught that girl too. I so have no you idea what she. <laughs> Yeah, you don't
0: me know thinking, yeah, me neither. Me <laughs> neither. Oh, man. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This nice Christian girl could really let it rip
0: and <laughs> um,
1: could really let it rip and not proud of that. But mm-hmm. the, the feelings were still there even after I stopped drinking. So um, it really helped us as well to go into counseling. I'm a huge fan of counseling, therapy, uh, whatever you want to call it. I think having online coaches and online virtual groups like we have is super critical and important because we're all over the world and people can't always afford, you know, $150, $200 an hour (laughs) for a therapist. Sometimes it's nice just to have the sisterhood and the camaraderie. But we, we had some issues because we're, you know, we're in it to win it, as we say at our house. We're really committed to each other. We knew that we had let some things kind of stuffed underneath. And part of that was removing the veil of alcohol for me and letting me get to some of those feelings without having a drink to do it. And uh, I'm really glad that we did that. We, we spent a few years really uncovering and still, you know, do the work to keep our communication open. But I had to, I have a story. Early on, when I stopped again, I was like, I can stop anytime I want, but can I stay stopped? Mm-hmm. That, was the, that was the secret for me. So I could stop, I could do a juice cleanse, I could do a 30-day, whatever. And I was on, I guess, you know, probably my second week of not drinking. And we went to our favorite taco place. And my sweet husband, Craig, just without even thinking about it, he wasn't, he doesn't, I think he didn't realize what a big deal this was for me because I had not allowed him to see what a big deal this was for me. Y'all know, I... I'd spent so much time minimizing my unhealthy relationship with alcohol and downplaying my hangovers and not talking about it because of the shame. He Mm -hmm. didn't realize the magnitude and the gravity of how much I was hurting inside and how much this wine o'clock thing had really messed with my relationship with God, with him, with others internally because it was all inside. And so he just yeah. casually orders a beer without thinking twice, like I normally would have. And before I could even like get, get anything out to make my order, I found out they had zero alcohol-free beverages at the restaurant. In fact, they couldn't even make me a virgin alcohol-free margarita because it was already pre-mixed and they had no <laughs> Topa Chico. And I was like, What? oh my gosh, I'm trying so hard right now to not just have water or a soft drink. I want to drink too. You know, there were no real options. And I remember y'all going to the bathroom, going, I'll be right back because they just like delivered his Corona with the lime and salt. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm like 14 days in here. I don't think I could do this. I'm just going to feel too left out, too miserable. I can just have a beer at a taco diner. I don't need to have a six pack. I know this about myself, but it's not about the one beer. It's about the next night and the next night and the next night and all the nights. So I was like, I cannot, I can't, I can't go back. I cannot go back to where I have been. I've got to burn the ships. (laughs) And so I went in the bathroom stall and, and I'll never forget it. I'm really glad that I had this vivid memory from so long ago. I literally shed a tear. I literally had a moment of grief for relinquishing and surrendering that relationship with alcohol. For how long it would last, I I didn't know. I had hopes and dreams inside that it could be a lifestyle, but that was way too big for me to think of at that time. And so I did. I kind of had a little pouty moment, a little moment of like, oh, this is so hard. And kind of like, you know, did this and went out. And my sweet man, again, who had no idea that the gravity of what I was dealing with internally, and we really hadn't had a lot of communication about it, he had already put in his order for another. And he's not a huge drinker. He's definitely a two-slammer, back-to-back guy. <laughs> he's like, one's good, two's better, let's go. And uh, kind of an intense personality as well. And uh, so before I could even like start to formulate the words that like, this was hard for me and all that, the, the waiter came back and said, can I get you another one, sir? He's like, sure. And so early on, just going, okay, I, I have got to do this for me. And I've got to start knowing that what I'm gaining is going to be so much better than anything I'm losing temporarily. Because mm-hmm. temporarily, yeah. this is uncomfortable. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. It's terrible. But in the long term, play the movie forward three hours from now when I'm going to bed with my little sober mind on my pillow. I will not regret not drinking. In fact, I've never regretted not drinking the next day, Mm -hmm. ever. I'm sure y'all can attest to the same. I've never been like, I really wished I would have last night, you know, had a few
0: or even once. Yeah, no, never, never. Not once. No. Never. (laughs) No. But there was a lot of regret and shame on the nights that we were drinking, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my God. So how, how did it get from those kind of early sober days to growing this incredible platform and being a total rock star like thought leader in this space? <laughs> it is <laughs> such a fine journey,
1: isn't it? To get, to take the girl from the taco diner crying in the bathroom by herself yeah, yeah. to yeah. to now feeling just so surrounded and supported by so many amazing women who are also on this journey as well. It was actually after about eight months of me navigating this journey. I'd, I'd had coaches and read books and listened to podcasts, but I really had not yet found my tribe. If you know what I mean? I mm-hmm. hadn't found my particular support group or people. And part of that is because I really couldn't find anybody talking about the faith aspect. I, I really mm-hmm. did not see anybody out there addressing the holistic part of the alcohol-free sober-minded journey in fact sober-minded and and y'all know this about me it's really more of how i look at this journey than i do being sober i don't really mm-hmm. just personally and there's nothing wrong with it but i don't even really identify as being sober even though i'm aka sober sis. it's really short for sober-minded sisters it was just too long so i <laughs> cut it down oh, i love that yeah but uh, it was it was Christmas time that very first year that I that I set drinking aside and I looked at my husband across, you know, across the fireplace. It was literally December 25th, 2017. And I said, babe, I just wish more women knew what I knew about alcohol. And again, the science and the the mindset shift that I really didn't have a drinking problem. I had a thinking problem. And mm-hmm. if I could really work on letting other women know, even just my, my, my drinking friends, my mom friends, then they might want to make different choices too. I, I don't want to fix anybody. I'm still really trying to figure this out myself, but I wish other women knew what I knew. And he said, Jen, and again, you'd have to know this about my husband and I, we're both entrepreneurs. We're just, he's a visionary. I'm more of a doer, but we've always owned our own businesses and created things from scratch it is not out of the norm for us to go okay we see a need we might have a solution to meet that need let's create what it would take to do that so that's kind of how we roll over here um in our yeah. decades of of being together and same here he goes well jen i would i would absolutely love to make your voice louder how can we do that oh, cool. that's my
0: I love I love my man, so my drinking
1: man, sometimes my biggest trigger man. But at the end of the day, my partner in life, and I could not have done what I am doing without his nudge early on. I would have never <laughs> have done a lot of things that I've done because I would have gotten kind of comfortable. Like, I did that. Okay, we're good. And he's he's a big thinker. And so I think God specifically placed him in my life for, well, a lot of reasons. We have two awesome kids and have built a life together. I also see him as a partner for me in this very unique assignment and calling that God has on my life that I definitely didn't choose for myself. (laughs) We remember that college girl that was, you know standards chairman of her sorority. I don't think I would have been like, not. Oh, I can struggle with drinking and then help people with drinking. That'll be fun. No, not, not my plan, but I, I do feel like God's plan or how he used my own choices to bring good out of it. And so really from there, we, we started, you know, he's like, well, we need a name. We need a URL. Go to GoDaddy. I'm like, what? I, I don't even know. I don't have that Amazing, like build it business sense that he does. Um, Well, I do do more so now. I've got to say, I've grown a lot in the last six years, but that was kind of what kicked it off. And the first year was just, you know, really putting my content together based on my own experience, what I had learned, and what I had found that worked best for me. Um, I didn't really have my own voice yet. You know, as much as my husband wanted to make my voice louder, well, I didn't really have a voice yet. I was still just like, you know, repeating what I had heard, giving credit where it was due. But like, that's that like, that's what I heard over here. Now I want to share it over here and Mm -hmm. felt like kind of a connector piece into, again, a lot of women who wouldn't maybe pick up a a sobriety or addiction book or podcast. Yeah. Um, You know, they they wouldn't have known to to look for that. And so, so yeah, so early on, that's kind of how it started was. Let me put together, let me curate the best of all I have found. And after, after a, a while of that, I started getting my own voice. And that's when I feel like Sober sis, as as y'all might know today, really kind of took off, kind of took a turn, because that's when we also started really investing in getting the message out. It was one thing to have the message inside. It was another thing to get the message out. So my goal with Silver Sys has always been to reach as many women as I can. And the good news is, between us all, we'll never even get close to reaching all the women that need to hear from what we have to share. And I really do believe that. I really do believe there are so many women around the globe that need to hear the message of gray area drinking and about the power of connection and... The holistic approach, but I know for me, it was really going into the relational side of things. Mm-hmm. One thing that's very unique about Sober Sis is it's less about programs and more about community. I really didn't set out to build anything other than a group of women that could keep wrestling with their relationship with drinking out loud for the long haul. So, I've, yeah. I've been blessed to have women in our tribe for four. Five years now, who have been walking the journey, and they're like elder sage, you know, women with as many new women as I can bring in. So we started treating. I feel like it's a ministry in my heart, mm-hmm. but I run it like a business because I'm trying to scale it to help as many women as possible. That's why y'all see me out there on all the sponsored ads, <laughs> and okay. um, you know, just ways
0: to get to get it out there. So that's my goal. I love the success story. I think this is one, maybe it's the most popular question, Christy, you, you may agree. Like, how do I do this journey if my husband's not on board? And though your husband didn't say, like, I'm joining you in this, you had that kind of like, like you called it the burn the ships moment, which is exactly the language I used too when I started my journey, where I was like, you know, I just, I've got to burn the ships here and I've got to be okay with whatever that, you know, I had all these fears about how this was going to change our relationship. But meanwhile like, what have I got to lose? Like, it's not, you know, I was already miserable miserable
1: as I was as a drinker. So if I can be a little bit uncomfortable as a non-drinker, but be heading in the right direction, at least I'm going somewhere. At least I'm moving versus just going round and round being miserable in my relationships.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, and the power of it just maybe starting with one person to being able to like, okay, so often we want The other person, we want our husbands to change what they're doing. I waited. I waited for a long time. Yeah. But if he'll change, I'll change. If he could be stronger
1: now, I could be stronger now. But it was never his goal. It was, and it's still not his goal. And I mean, I've got the memo. I've learned this now. It is not his goal to be alcohol-free. He internally, uh, like many spouses out there, he himself does not have the cognitive dissonance that we had. My man yeah. does not have the emotional, mental tug of war. Is it serving him? I would, I would say no, because I don't think alcohol really serves anybody, mind, body, or spirit. I don't. I. That's just my vote. <laughs> that's just my personal. Vote. I agree with you. <laughs> um, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't think it's causing him duplicity inside. I, he mm-hmm. is aligned for him with what he wants to do. When I was drinking, I was doing what it is I didn't want to do. Yeah. Just like Paul talks about. I was doing the very thing I didn't want to do. Oftentimes, sometimes I did. (laughs) But many times I was like, I'm pouring this drink and I don't really want to. Want it. And I wanted to not want it. Yes. That's what I wanted. Yep. And I wanted to be, quote, like him or like somebody else who wanted it. And didn't think twice about wanting it. And then just had it and moved on. I've come now to see, no, that's not what I want. That's never what I want. I want to not want it. I want to be free from it. And finally, you know, after I would say it took me a good probably year, year and a half, probably 18 months of really putting in the work to make it where alcohol, even though I really did have a start point where I didn't have data points. We call that in our tribe a data point. We call a slip up, just a data point. I'm just doing mm-hmm. some more recon, just needed to know again, just learning. It's not a setback. It's valuable feedback. The whole progress over perfection motto is is what I'm using out there. so it's not really about counting days. It's kind of like one day or day one, but For me, it really has been a marked moment where I decided no more, but that took time to kind of fill in the blanks from the direction I was going in and what I wanted to actually being able to achieve that kind of freedom inside. It was very difficult sometimes the first year, but then every time I would wake up so relieved or even after everyone got their third drink and I was still sober-minded The relief I felt and the gratitude I felt to be free was Mm -hmm. worth everything, and it still is. I really guard and protect my sober mind. I feel like it is something that that I own that nobody can take away from me. And I feel very like my my reformer enneagram one side really comes out when I talk about my sober mind because it's been tested, it's been tried, it's been challenged. Oh my gosh, over the last six and a half years. And, and raising kids and getting them into adulthood and and building building something that at times is extremely stressful and and also exhilarating and rewarding, it's been tested and tried and and it becomes more and more valuable to me as I go. But I also think you know you mentioned early on you know that we have this relationship with God in, in common that we're believers. I also think that sobriety or being of sober mind. Is is still something to not be so idolized, though, that we don't remember our dependence on the Holy Spirit, and that ultimately He is my source of freedom, not mm-hmm. even my sobriety. That's a gift. Yeah, it's a gift that He's given me. But I feel like the dependence that I have on Him is the greater gift,
0: and mm-hmm. that I would for anything. Oh, I love that so, so much. I want to ask, I want to ask you for a tiny Tina, but like, that was, that was so beautiful. And it ties so, so well into, you know, the dependence on, on Jesus and why we can't depend on our spouses too, you know, like it's, it's just, I think that was a lesson, you know, that I had to learn too. It was like, I was leaning on the wrong, man, you know, (laughs) to get through it. Yeah. 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 Internet, yeah. Uh, okay. Trading the wine dependency for the vine dependency. Right. Like, and that's oh, and like, this. that's, that's something where, yeah. Like, and you even talked about like having the third and, you know, like inviting the third into your that's... relationship with God and the third into that's... your marriage wine, like as that third. And, and then also I love the theme too, of how like, you know, breaking up with alcohol, kicking out the third in, in that space, and then inviting in a different third, an objective, a therapist, a con- like someone who can help sort wow. through. It's like, I, I mean, it, that's just yeah, such we a were stuck.
1: We were, we were, we yeah. were in some, some ruts. And I think, you know, when you've been married this long and you're really wanting to, you know, quote grow all together, which we are <laughs> literally it's happening right now. <laughs> Yeah, you've got to keep working on your relationship. And I think oftentimes alcohol just not only is it a disconnector, Mm -hmm. it's ultimately a duller of the spark that you have. And it it just doesn't bring the real person to the table. And one thing Mm -hmm. I will say about my husband, which uh, kudos to him. We recently just went on a trip. We went to Colorado earlier this month to cool off from the Texas heat. And it was just a weekend together. It's just three nights. And I just said, hey, babe, just asking, not demanding, not expecting, but just asking as a favor to me, would you consider not drinking for our weekend together? And I've asked him now numerous times. And I don't ask every time. We just went to a really cool local dinner fundraiser last night with, you know, the open bar. Do what you will. That's that's not a place I'm intimately trying to connect with my man at a big dinner. Do what you will, you know. And so, I have to choose wisely when I ask for what I need, and decide mm-hmm. when I really need it. But when it's just he and I, or especially early on, if I was struggling, I would just ask for me, not for you. I'm not trying to change you. This isn't a project about you. This is for me. Would you consider? And uh, fortunately, I've got a guy who will gladly do that for me, and mm-hmm. and that's made a real difference just to ask, just to communicate about it. I think when we were drinking, there just was so little communication yeah. about drinking in general that it's, thrown, well, it's been really good to do that.
0: And that's just where, and I know we're going to Tiny Tina Christy, but like that's where support can come in different forms. So where we may have in our head that like him not drinking is how is the support I need. I loved how you shared about how he kind of came alongside you. Like, yeah, I want to help you use your voice. Like, the ways that our right. husbands can support us in our journey and, and we can separate that, it takes that. It just it allows, yeah, anyway, it just works. That's so. a great point. You're exactly right. He's very
1: supportive and it's not through his non-drinking lifestyle. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and maybe that's, that's a place too where we can ask God, You know, if we're in that place, like, okay, Lord, like how, what does support look like? I have so, I'm so set. I'm thinking of this one client. I'm so set on, I can't do this. Without my husband getting on board, maybe it's turning to the Lord and saying, "Okay, what I really want to support, maybe I'm what? How else could I get support, and how could I ask for that?" And And allowing the Holy Spirit to to convict and show
1: each individual person, because then it's more real. It's just like our relationship with Christ. I would never pressure or push that on somebody else because it's such a personal response to Mm -hmm. a relationship. And I feel like the same with any lifestyle choice or anything that may be a gray area, if I changed anyone else, including the women I work with, if I tried to change anyone else, it would never stick. They would just be jumping through the hoops, doing it for me, checking boxes. Yep. It would not be a heart change. And so I believe, you know, only partnering with the Holy Spirit, only partnering with God can we achieve that and yeah. uh, just allowing space for that to happen, however that may look. And there's a lot of freedom in that because, you know, as as y'all, you know, I work with women. I've got my 21 day reset challenge. They come through and I have no expectation. I have hope for them. I can see the possibilities, but I'd rather them stay connected in our tribe ongoing and work it out and wrestle it out
0: than try to like check a box and get it done. Yeah. 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 It's so true. It's so true. That's why it's so hard, right? When Whenever any of us gets like a brand new like woman in front of us and they ask the question, like, how long is this going to take? And it's like, mm-hmm. sister, I have no idea, but like buckle up because it's going to be like, the best ride ever, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true. Jen, can you tell our beautiful listeners where they can find you? And we'll link everything in the so- show notes as well. Yeah, so I love about your book, please. Look Alive yeah. Oh, love yeah. That. I've got it here. I don't know if it's in the frame,
1: but uh, here's my new book right here. It's Look Alive Sis.
0: So
1: Look Alive says 40 Days to Awaken Your Sober Mind. And Yay. my book is full of like 40, I call them sober minded seeds that you can plant in your mind to kind of think about. They're little bitty short, short. I wouldn't even call them chapters because it, it's kind of a cross between a daily devotional but yet it's for anybody who's sober curious I definitely have my faith woven all throughout my life because it's part of who I am but this book is really for for any sober curious person especially a woman because all the stories are about females and yeah, so this just came out in April and oh, I've got congratulations. all
0: congratulations
1: freebies mm-hmm. with it on my bio in my on my Instagram at sober sis one word at Sobersys. I'm actually giving away the first five seeds, the five digital chapters uh, for free. So you can read five and be like, oh, okay, I want the other ones. And yeah, so that's exciting. That's at Sober Sis. Um, And then I'm just launching Sobersys.com. I've always had a lot of different websites for different things, but Sobersys.com and at Sober on Facebook are probably where I hang out the most.
0: Everybody go get the book. Yeah, yes. We're all going to do it.
1: It's on Amazon and you can also get it at lookalivesys.com. Amazing. Well,
0: thank yeah. you for being here. Thank you, Chen.
1: Um, thank y'all. It's been really great to get to know y'all better than the, yeah. the main faces behind the awesome work that you're doing as well. <laughs> oh, we Glad appreciate you so much. Community. Thank you. All right, yeah, this is so
0: fun. But why, why, is it, why, why do we have to stop? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, know. I know. There's, There's
1: a, a lot, lot more we could cover. Maybe oh, again, we might
0: maybe have to have time. A, a part, a part two. All right, yeah. ladies, we'll see we get, yeah, we'll get another one. That's we definitely right. we will. Come. We'll see you next Monday. Bye y'all. Bye y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com. and make sure you follow us over on the gram at love life sober with Christy and Mead at I am not sober, I am free. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.